this last Wednesday, me and some friends got together. Uh, we are, uh, I, you can classify us as nerds. We love board games. Uh, so we got together and played a game called Foon Chain Magnate. Now, it was me, it was Elijah, uh, it was Seth who plays bass, and Landon who is often on drums, uh, Landon Lawrence. And so we were uh, playing a game called Food Chain Magnate. And the idea of this game is you start a, a restaurant empire uh, from scratch. So uh, it was a pretty lengthy game, and there were a lot of decisions that you had to make at the front end of the game uh, to be able to affect the back end of the game. And so there was, uh, one of us was explaining the rules, and there was a rule that I uh, heard, and I was like, okay, I'm going all in on that, because there was a lot of different avenues for strategy you could choose. So I went all in on a certain strategy based off of a rule that I thought I understood. Um, and I went all in on this strategy. <laughs> and uh, we get about three rounds into the game, which wasn't a ton of time, and it became apparent that I had misunderstood this rule in the game. And so I was like, Elijah, can you please explain that again? And there was this thing with, like, you needed this card to do this, but if you didn't have it, you couldn't do this, that, or the other. Can you explain that one more time. He explains it to me. I was like, time out. Are you kidding me? This changes everything. I would completely ditch the strategy. And so uh, we get to the end of the game, and it was like a few points to, like, several hundred points because I completely misunderstood the strategy. Uh, Landon ended up winning. Um, I'm kidding. I just wanted to see how Seth would react because he won by so much that I, f I figured he'd be really fired up. Uh, but I, I, if I would have understood this rule rightly, it would have completely changed everything that I did moving forward. And I want this morning to be a that changes everything type of morning for you. I want you to, to hear what God is trying to say to us today, and I want us to, to understand, and, and I don't want us to get into 2019 and 2020 and way down the road and go learn of some things and go, hold on, time out. That changes everything. I want, I want this to be a that changes everything morning for us. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the text for this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray. We're going to talk about one verse in the text. We're going to take communion. We'll celebrate the new year. Come. John chapter 1, verse 29, as we've been in all of December. John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes uh, a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me uh, to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we invite you into this place. We want to meet you here. We want to hear from you this morning, and we just ask that the truth of your word will ring true in our lives, that we can leave this morning as a changed people, and that we can know of your love for us. So we give this time to you and ask that you will uh, work in and through us, and we ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. So I want to camp today on John 1, 29. 
And I want to walk through uh, what it looks like for us to kind of live out the words and, and, and thoughts that John is using when he says these things, when he's quoting John the Baptist, uh, of what he says about Jesus. If you look at your notes, you'll notice it's kind of uh, blank a little bit. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, as we talk about each section, um, I want you to kind of write in the pertinent things that speaks to your heart and, and affects you at where you're at at this point in your life. And at the end of this, my hope is that you can, with each section that we break down and talk about, my hope is that you can put together uh, something that you can walk away with that's in your language that God's spoken to you this morning and says, okay, this is what God has done for me. So, John 1:29. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him, and here's what he says. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I want to talk about what each section of that means for us, and we will start with behold. Behold. It's not language that we use uh, every day. Um, it, it kind of speaks of some greater significance. And I think this language begs us to stop and take note of what John is pointing out. And I think it stops, uh, begs us to stop and take note of the majesty and the awe of any given situation that we're in. Because it, it's not often that I'm like, if I want you to just look at something, I say, hey, check that out. But no, John says, behold, look at it. This is incredible. Take it in. Look at what's going on right here. I want you to see this, and this is a disconnect because, like I said, we don't use that word a lot in our language today, but I think we see situations that we behold Jesus, because that's what John's asking uh, the listeners to behold. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold Jesus. I think for me, the last time that I really beheld Jesus was last Thursday, right here in, uh, in this room. Um, we, the, the worship team meets every Thursday night. They practice, they go through the set, they get all the kinks worked out so they can just like not have any distractions and help us enter into worship on a Sunday morning. And uh, I had to be here last week because I was doing uh, a spoken word. And so I was here and we had this interpretive movement dance thing at the beginning of service last week. And uh, they, they were practicing, so they dimmed all, if you were here last week, you remember, if you weren't, they dimmed all the lights and almost to where it was pitch black, they just had some red, and then they had a, a video going that just talked about like chaos and brokenness when God brought it into order. And it talked about like the brokenness of the world apart from God. And so I'm sitting uh, kind of where Grace is sitting, just right down there in the middle. How you doing, Grace? Good to see you. Um, I'm sitting down there, and I'm the only one there. So just imagine it's just you, okay? And they're doing their movement up here on stage. And one way that I connect, the way God has wired me, I, I don't know why, but I connect with God through art and design and things of that nature. And so they're doing this interpretive movement and dance about uh, the chaos of the world and how God brought it to order, but about how man like went away from that. And there was this line in it about how we had replaced like the true real God. I think it was Eugene Peterson's language, but it says, we replaced the true real God with these cheap figurines. And I'm just sitting there just broken and weeping uh, because it's just such a beautiful picture that we got entered into this place of chaos because he left us so much. 
And so I'm sitting there by myself. Elijah texted me later that night. He was like, hey, did you happen to get any video? I might like put it on Instagram or something. I was like, I, I couldn't, man. Like I was just in the moment. I know it was just practice, but I was in the moment so much that I couldn't not just be behold the glory and the grandeur and the majesty of who Jesus is in that moment. But for you, you might have seen that dance last week and gone, that was weird. <laughs> There's some people moving around on stage, can't really tell who it is. I think Amanda was one of them, I guess. I don't know. Uh, okay, I guess we'll sing some songs now. That's, and, and that's an okay thing, but you need to find the way that God has wired you to connect with him and behold him. And you need to go and do that because it's such a good practice to behold the beauty and the majesty of God. When we go on vacations, uh, we have a couple stipulations. Uh, I love going to, like I said, art museums. I could spend days in art museums. Just like looking and uh, down at Newfields, the Indianapolis Art Museum, they, they just have chairs everywhere. And it says, sit down, take a look. And I'll just sit there. And the man's like, we've seen this one. Can we go on to the next one? I'm like, I want to take it in. But when we go hiking, I, we could lose Amanda in the woods because she connects with God in, in, the, in nature. And so she misses North Georgia a lot with the hills and the mountains and, and all the hiking trails and everything. And so she can be out in the woods and just behold the beauty and the glory and the majesty of who God is as she's looking around at the trees. And I'm, I'm there going, are we, there's bugs everywhere. Can we go inside somewhere? <laughs> But she does the same thing in art museums. And so, like, find the way that you behold the beauty and the glory and the majesty of who God is. And I implore you, go and do those things. Go and do those things because it is so life-giving to be connected with your Savior in that way. And that's what we were made for. That is the explicit purpose of our lives, to worship God in his fullness. And we're headed towards that for eternity. And so I beg you, find the way that you behold the beauty and the glory and the splendor of who Jesus is. And go and do those things. Behold. Take it in. This is something special. This is a rare air that we get to be a part of. Take note of it because it is not always going to be like this. Behold, taking the wonder and the majesty of Jesus. John goes on to say, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. This seems like such an odd way to tag someone in 2018, almost 2019. Uh, anytime someone talks about like being a lamb or a sheep, if I'm like, Raylan, you, she's just a sheep. That means like she just follows along and does whatever. So it's like, why would, why would John call Jesus that? Um, but I, to the first century uh, reader or listener, this had huge, huge implications. To call someone the Lamb of God, the, the person following uh, Yahweh at this point would like start to rifle back through their brain and be like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. So let's think about some lambs that we see that would have been going through their head. We have the Passover lamb in Exodus when the Israelites were, were trapped in Egypt and they, um, they didn't see a way out and God said, I'm going to provide a way out. And, and there was an angel of death that was going to come through uh, to punish the Egyptians and, and God said, um, if you sacrifice a, a perfect lamb and you put the, the blood on the doorposts, I will pass over your house and your firstborn won't die. And so all the Israelites did this and it passed over and all the Egyptians' firstborns uh, passed away. 
So we have the Passover lamb, we have the temple lamb that was sacrificed that we see in Exodus that to cover over sins, they sacrificed a lamb. We see a sacrificial lamb that's promised in Isaiah 53, but I think the most pertinent one for our discussion today is found in Genesis chapter 22 with a guy named Abraham. Abraham is the guy that kind of God went to and spoke to and said, hey, I'm going to build something from your descendants. That's why we're here today. And um, he said, I know you don't have any kids right now, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you lots and lots of kids. And Abraham's like, I don't think you understand. Me and my wife are really, really old. That's not how this works. And God says, just trust me. So they never had kids. They're really old. God gives them a son and promptly asks him to sacrifice said son which if you're, you're like new to all of this is let's be free. even if you're not new to all of this that's weird like what are you asking me to do you just gave me this kid and then you're like go kill him what but God's trying to show I will take care of you I will provide so Abraham and Isaac, they head to Mount Moriah, and they start climbing Mount Moriah, and they, and they head up the mountain, and they get to the top of it, and Isaac's like, time out, pops. I thought we were sacrificing something. There's no sacrifice here. Abraham says, you just got to trust God. You just got to trust God. So they get to the top of the mountain, and Abraham's like, Isaac, I, I need you to lay down, man. He binds him. And, and Isaac, at this point, as a, as a child, is probably confused and scared and What's going on, Dad? This is, I don't get it. And Abraham draws his knife, and he draws it back. And the moment he's getting ready to sacrifice his son, he hears some rustling behind him. And Abraham trusted God, and God provided what Abraham needed. And behind him, there's a lamb that's caught in the thicket. And God had provided the sacrifice that was necessary for Abraham to give. So time and time again, when we think through the lambs of the Old Testament that John would have been referring to when he was referring to Jesus, time and time again, we see that all lamb sacrifices were memorials of deliverance, how God had taken care of them. They were forgiveness of sin, and they were messianic salvation. So it was someone saying, someone is coming on your behalf because there's someone else that's supposed to be sacrificed, Wages of sin is death. Because we're sinners, we deserve death. Someone else should be sacrificed, but someone or something is, is put in on their behalf. It's someone being substitution for what was owed to that person. And this is why we take communion. This is what we're remembering. That Jesus came down. We talked about it on Christmas Eve. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus put on flesh and lived a human life. Uh, he was fully human and fully God. He lived the life that we couldn't and died the death that we deserved so that we could be reconciled to God. And this is what we're talking about when we take communion. That we were far from God and through Jesus we can be brought near to God. So behold, take it in the majesty and the beauty of this situation, the Lamb of God, the one who comes on someone else's behalf, on our behalf, and then my favorite part, who takes away the sins. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. 
And I think sin is one of those things that's a misunderstood thing in our culture and in our context. And so I'm, I'm hoping we can set it right today. Because I think a lot of people view sin as the bad things we do in our life. As like uh, the, the outward things that we do that are sin, that's the condition. But it's important to remember that apart from God, we are not sinners because we sin. Like this bad stuff we do doesn't make us sinners. But apart from God, we are sinners and therefore out of that we sin. To be a sinner means that we're following the ways that are not in line with what God has intended. And so we are not sinners because we sin. We are sinners and therefore we sin. And this is why that's important. When, when John says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, that is so vitally important for us to understand what sin is and how when we're far from God, we're not following God that's like in our nature. And here's why it's important for us to understand that. Forgiveness of sins does not mean moral absolution or wiping away what's there. Forgiveness of sins means to be made new. This is the best way I can, I can think of it, okay? Last night, Hudson woke up, middle of the night, um, and he woke up because he had a dirty diaper. I'll leave it at that, Jeremy, dirty diaper. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, it wasn't just wet if you catch my drift. Um, he would not be pleased with me if I was like, you know what, Hudson? I'm gonna wipe away this mess from your life. And I just took a wipe, took the diaper, and just like wiped up everything I could and then stuck it back on him. Why? Because at the end of the day, that's still a dirty diaper. Okay? And so when Jesus comes and makes us new through his death on the cross and then his subsequent resurrection, when he makes us new, he's not just wiping away what's there. He's making us new, and here's how I know it. In Corinthians it says, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone's following Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has gone the new has come. So when Jesus goes around telling people, hey, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and walk. Uh, you can see, go, go, like your sins are forgiven. When he does all those things, he's not simply saying like, the, the moral wrongdoings in your life are hereby wiped away and you just go on from here on out living a perfect life. What he's saying is, I'm taking the sinful nature that you had because of the fall of the world and I'm taking that and I'm replacing it with a new God nature. The old has gone and the new has come. It's not wiping away stuff, it's making new. And I think we want to buck at, at this sort of authority in our life and, and go like, well, who's he to tell me how to live? Like, I get it, he lived a long time ago. Like, what, who, what, what is he, who does he think he is? But I think it's important to understand that he's not just trying to keep us from fun things. Like he's like, well, don't do this on the weekends and don't say these things and don't think these things and don't do these things and it's okay. When he's trying to make us new people, it's not that he's trying to keep us from bad things or good things or fun things. It's not that. It's the matter of, of death and life. So when he makes us new, he takes us from death and he brings us to life. How did in the world did we end up at death? Because Romans says the wages of sin is death. So consequently, because we all have the sin nature apart from God, 
we deserve death. But when we're made new through the work of Jesus on the cross, we can experience life. So it's not a matter of good and bad. It's a matter of death and life. I think some people in this room this morning have never experienced that transition from death to life. Whether you're just trying to figure this Jesus thing out, or you're new to church, or you've been burnt by church, or any number of combinations of situations you could be in, I think there's some people that this morning for the first time need to say, Jesus, I need you to make me new because I can't keep doing this on my own. Then I think there's another group of people in here who have been following Jesus and coming to church, but they have a lot of baggage in their life that's weighing them down, that they're like, I get that Jesus has forgiven me, but my past was pretty bad. I I remember talking to people in my office um, who were just like, yes, I want to move past this, but I've got some things in my past, and I know Jesus has forgiven me, and, and, and I want you to hear this morning that if you have been moved from death to life, and Jesus has made you new, you leave all of that old stuff in the past, Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So you don't have to have that stuff weighing you down anymore. You don't have to carry those chains around anymore because God has broken every single one of those and you don't have to carry it anymore. God loves you deeply. He cares for you so much. And through his work on the cross and the power of the resurrection, we can be made new. So either be made new or lay down the guilt that you've been carrying around. Behold, take it in, look at the beauty and wonder of this situation. The Lamb of God, someone has come on our behalf to take away the sin, to make us a new people. And then lastly, of the world. And I think this is the exclamation point to what John is trying to say in this sentence. Because the Greek word that's used here is cosmos, okay? Cosmos. And overwhelmingly, when you dig into the use of cosmos in Scripture, overwhelmingly, it is not used in a positive light. So when you look into it, the the writers, the Greek writers, time and time again, use cosmos as like a negative connotation because it's, it's something that is wrong or messed up or bad. And so this is why this is the exclamation point to what, uh, what John is trying to say. Because for uh, Jesus, the Lamb of God, to take away the sin and make, uh, make them a new people of the world— means he's taking away the sin and making a new people those that were in direct opposition to God. They were in direct opposition because of the fallenness of humanity. And what an incredible, like I said, exclamation point on what God did through Jesus because Jesus didn't have to do this. God didn't have to do this. But because of his great love for us, he did it anyways. Even though when we were apart from God, we were in direct opposition to him. He did it because of his great, great, great love for us. Behold, take it in, the beauty and the majesty and the awe of this situation that we're living in. 
Behold, the Lamb of God. Someone's come on our behalf to do something that we couldn't do. And what is that something that we couldn't do? He takes away the sin. He makes us a new people. gives us a fresh birth. Even though we are part of the world and in direct opposition to him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're going to prepare ourselves to take communion, which I think is an apt way to enter 2019 as our last uh, meeting together as as a body of believers. And there's a couple things I want us to focus on as we prepare our hearts and we we worship uh, to this next song called Lamb of God that talks about who Jesus is and what he came to do. And here are the two things um, that I want us to focus on. One of these might apply to you, both of them. uh, just, Just hear me out, okay? Are you beholding Jesus? Are you beholding Jesus? Because I beg of you in this next year, put yourself in the situations where you can recognize the beauty and majesty of who Jesus is. It might be when you're consuming art. It might be when you're out in nature. It might be when you're in a worship service here. It might be when you're at your small group gathering. It might be when you take a younger person out to breakfast. It might be any number of situations, but I implore you to find the ways that you behold the beauty and the majesty of who Jesus is and then fill your life and your schedule with that because that is what God is asking you to do is just be absolutely consumed and in love with who he is. So are you beholding Jesus? I want you to meditate and focus on that. And then secondly, have you been made new? Have you been made new? Because his arrival makes us new. And you might be in one of the two camps like I talked about. You might be the person who is just trying to figure all of this out and saying, I I don't know about all of this, uh, but I, I like this idea that like, I don't have to keep trying to live this perfect life because God's gonna make me new. I don't have to keep trying to eke something out because God has done a work already that, that can make me new and all I have to do is just like walk in that. You might be that person who's never walked in that before or you might be the person whose chains of their past have you weighed down. You're just like, I, I know God made me new but you don't understand the things I've done. You don't understand the things I've seen. You don't understand the things I've said. You don't understand the things I've thought. And I'm here today to tell you that regardless of what any of those things are, God has made you new and we have the opportunity to walk our lives in that, which is such, such, such a freeing and liberating thing. Are you beholding Jesus? Are you in awe and wonder of who he is? And are you living a lifestyle that recognizes that you have been made new? As we take communion, as we prepare our hearts for communion, I want to let you know we have the cross over here. The cross is always open during service if you want something, someone uh, to pray with you about something. But if one of these things, if you're like, I need help beholding Jesus, or I need to be made new, or I need to be reminded that I was made new, uh, there is someone that will meet you down here and love on you and pray for you without judgment and just with care and love. So I invite you to do that as we prepare our hearts for communion. Um, and then uh, as the ushers come forward and, um, and the team comes forward uh, to lead us in this next song, 
I want you to know that we practice what's called an open table here at First Church, meaning if you are a lover and a follower of Jesus, whether, whether this is your home church or not, we invite you uh, to partake of this with us and, and remember the sacrifice that the Lamb of God, Jesus, made on our behalf to take away the sins and to make us a new people. We invite you to take it with us. So, uh, like I said, the cross is open. If you need to do some work with God, you need to pray and go before the throne. Uh, and the, the team will come and we'll pray over our communion. So I just ask that you grab two cups. They're stacked on top of each other. Hold them. We'll all take it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we are so thankful and just in awe of who you are and what you're doing. And we ask that you'll meet us in this place that your name and your renown will be the desire of our hearts and that we can remember your love for us and the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice, Lord. Lord, remind us that we've been forgiven. We have the opportunity to be made new. Remind us that we don't have to carry around that guilt and that shame anymore because of your work on the cross and by defeating death, being resurrected. We love you deeply. Let's call these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Sorrow to trade the dead. 